and welcome to this, the 16th episode in this second series of the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. I am your host, the self-appointed cheerleader-in-chief of Irish Theatre, Angus Ogue McAnally, Artistic Director of Rise Productions, a freelance actor, more recently a director and a producer here at Rise. I am a 21-year veteran of the Irish theatre scene and a third-generation theatre maker. And as ever, we are coming to you live from our studios at the Irish Theatre Institute in the heart of Dublin's cultural quarter of Temple Bar. And, of course, this second series is brought to you thanks to the generous support of the Arts Council of Ireland. Now, each week we bring you these conversations absolutely free of charge. We've promised we'll never, ever charge for these podcasts because I'm not a great businessman. But, of course, we are looking for you to go and put your money into Irish theatre. That's the whole ethos behind this podcast to support, promote and celebrate all that is great about Irish theatre. And of course, as we say each week, the easiest way for you to go and support is to go and buy yourself some theatre tickets, whether that's top price tickets at the Abbey or the Gate, whether it's smaller tickets for a smaller fringe venue, something like that. Uh, Just get out there, get your hand in your pocket and support Irish theatre but maybe if tickets are outside your reach this week or this month you might go over and check out one of the crowdsourcing websites the fundit.ie's the indiegogos of the world see if there's a theatre project over there that could do with your support and maybe put your hand in your pocket and help them out donations often start from as low as a fiver and there are always great rewards in return for those donations and of course there are a whole heap of ways you can support without even having to put your hand in your pocket do please go and tell people about this podcast whether that's in person over a coffee over a pint over a chat as you're debating the latest greatest show you've seen um just let people know that this podcast exists and that it's out there the more you get the word out about us the more we can get the word out about the theatre artists that we're talking to here on the show. Um, You can, of course, share the link as a Facebook post or retweet the link on Twitter. That's always very easy and a big help for us. Do please go and subscribe to the podcast over on iTunes. Uh, But for those of you who don't use iTunes and Apple, it is streamable and available for direct download over at riseproductions.ie. Do go back and listen to all the other episodes. We've got 52 episodes in Series 1 and we're now up to 16 here in Series 2. So plenty there for your listening pleasure. Uh, Do leave us a review on iTunes if you can. It only takes about 30 seconds, but it's a massive, massive help for small independent podcasters like us. The deal with it is they've changed up their algorithms for chart positions and all that kind of stuff. So just in terms of keeping us up there and current and relevant, it is of massive assistance to us. If this week is the week you do it, it would be great. Um, If you've been listening for a while, maybe you listened to the series one first time around and never got around to leaving that review or those ratings or whatever, make this be the week you do it. It's a huge help for us gets us out there and helps us spread the word. So you can leave a review or click to rate us on their five-star rating system. That's literally a one-click deal. It's very straightforward. And of course, you can follow us on Facebook. We are facebook.com forward slash Rise Productions Ireland. Or you can follow us on Twitter. We are at Rise Ireland. And it's been another busy week here at Rise Towers. We are flat out at pre-production for the upcoming remount of the tour of The Good Father by the great Christian O'Reilly. Very excited to be getting back into a room to build the show again and also to take it out on the road. Touring has been such a a fundamental and and essential part of the model of how we make work here at Rise for the last seven or eight years. Uh, It means an awful lot to me. I love taking work out on the road. I never wanted to be, you know, a guy from Dublin who makes work in 
in Dublin, about Dublin people, for Dublin people. For me, it's always been a question of getting the shows out on the road, taking them to as wide and as broad an audience as we possibly can. So we will be doing that again this time. I think we're heading up for north of 13 or 14 or 15 different venues on the tour this time around and all four provinces and north and south of the border and all that great stuff. Because uh, it's important to me, it really is. And, and because we've been building gradually on it over the last seven or eight years in terms of audience development that we've come down with Fight Night, we've come down with games, we've taken the Christie show on the road, we've taken Good Father on the road, we're now going to go and hit a lot of the venues that we didn't hit last time. And I think it's really key that you develop those relationships with audiences that they can kind of go, oh yeah, we took a chance on that boxing show, maybe we'll roll the dice on this, maybe it'll be great, or, or we really like the Christie thing, this seems like it'll be a bit different, let's see how this might work out. Um, so hopefully we can keep building on those audiences and I hopefully if you are around the country you might come and see us, we would love to welcome you back to come and see us again. Uh, and for me personally I'm heading into a busy weekend of kind of shiny showbiz stuff for a change um, a feature film feature documentary that I worked on last year is getting its world premiere at the uh, Audi Dublin Film Festival this weekend so I'll be going doing all the shiny posh stuff around that and then of course on Sunday it is the Irish Times Theatre Awards which is you know the biggest night in the calendar for us in the world of Irish theatre very much looking forward to being there and enjoying myself and being completely off duty which is uh, it's a real joy I mean from the years of hosting and the days the years of being nominated and stuff it's uh, you never get to fully switch off and enjoy it I think the real joy of a night like that is to just get the community together and go hey we made it through another year in this crazy business we're all still here we're all still making a living we're all still ticking over so looking forward to going and having the crack on Sunday can't wait to see what uh, Amy Conroy and Claire Barrett do on hosting duties I can't think of a more perfect pairing for the show I think they're going to be amazing really looking forward to seeing the magic that they can pull off and so that brings us to our guest this week and it is none other than the brilliant Kate Ferris. Now Kate and I go back an awful long way, nearly 10 years at this stage. We first met on um, the Performance Corporation's production of The Nose back in Project, uh, back in 2008 I guess at this stage. Um, so it was lovely to catch up with Kate again. Uh, a, a wonderful person, uh, a wonderful story that's taken her all around the globe and really interesting insights into I guess the more behind the scenes element of uh, of the world of Irish theatre and not just from the technical end which of course is the kind of the background she comes from but also moving into producing and creating work and specifically now this new strand of making work for kids that she's so interested in uh, it's a cracking chat so let's get straight into it here it is the brilliant Kate Ferris the wonderful Kate Ferris on the podcast at last thank you very much for being here thank you very much for having me I am delighted to be officially in the Lear in one of the studios where I come and see all the work and it's nice to be here now recording this I feel very special excellent <laughs> um, let us begin as we always do with the very beginning because your beginning is not in Ireland your beginning is on the other side of the planet let's say the wrong side of the planet that's that would right. be a bad one well according to some people <laughs> I'm on. an Antipodean yes that's right so yes I grew up in Australia I grew up in a in a small town called Toowoomba, okay. which is not quite the outback, but uh, very much edging towards that way. Um, it's, I guess, you know, a pretty sleepy, conservative place, but I have to say it was a fantastic place to grow up. And um, I kind of, I guess, fell into theatre or, you know, headed towards the arts because I, I did grow up in this community where there was a little bit to kick against. Okay. And where, where are we? East coast, west coast, north, south? East coast. East um, coast, okay. uh, But a couple of hours inland. Okay, Yeah, from the right. coast. So Toowoomba, the town... Yeah, I know. A couple of hours. <laughs> but the, the town that I'm from, Toowoomba, is also referred to as the gateway of the Golden West because it's that kind of last 
place that you go to before you get right out into the okay. kind of the big the red center wow okay yeah um and so so a little bit of a conservative town then yeah i'd say so it, it, it has changed a lot in in the last couple of years um but obviously there was a recent um successful marriage referendum that happened in Australia, which is great. And I remember kind of looking at the stats and looking at the map and, and certainly that area that I'm from, which is southeast Queensland, seemed to be um, the, the most conservative okay. voters, you know, of the country. So I guess growing up as a, as a queer kid in those kind of areas, you, you do have a bit to kick against, which is why I think I was drawn to the arts. But I always say that, you know, theatre chose me that I didn't choose it okay. I guess yeah. and why would you say that I think because as I mentioned I do I did feel like I had a, a bit to kick against and that was an outlet yeah, for me okay. if that makes sense so I come from a, a family I think who have a kind of a great appreciation for art and for music and for theater and I would have growing up uh, gone to the opera and the ballets and all that kind really? of crack yeah but like my parents aren't artists um, and so I was just brought in from a very early age and that kind of had such an, an, a profound effect on me. And how readily accessible is thing, are things like theatre and opera if you are, you know, at the gateway to the outback? Yeah. Stuff? I mean, is it still relatively accessible? Um, to a certain extent. Look, we would go to Brisbane a lot, which is okay. a couple of hours away. Um, had a lot of family there. Um, there's certainly... it's not you know, Toowoomba's not a, a thriving metropolis, so there's not... Sure. You know, there's not a lot of really brilliant, great work going through there, but I think I was really lucky in that I went to school that really placed, a school that, that placed arts, like right at kind of the front of, of what we were doing education-wise. Okay. So when I was studying as a, as a teenager and a, as a young kid, I was doing dance and I was doing drama, and I know that's quite different to... Yeah, absolutely. ...to what it is in Ireland. Like, that was, that was part of our curriculum, and that had a, a huge effect on me had some fantastic teachers, yeah. you know, who I still think about now to this day. And I just remember those classes really, really well. I remember getting out of bed in the morning as a teenager and just going, I want to go to school because I'm going to go and study Breck today or, you know, Beckett or That's any incredible. of that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's lucky. Like, it's just different, I guess, in Australia to yeah. how it is here, that it is part of the curriculum there. But that had a huge effect on me and... Um, that's that's why I think it you know why it chose me. That's incredible. So so if if it's there as a regular everyday part of life, um, standard school stuff, at what point do you start thinking maybe career wise this is something you'd like to do with it? Um, so I guess uh, in school, uh, I had as I said, I had some fantastic teachers who really inspired me, um, and it were like the dance and the and the drama. And the artistic side of school is what I did well at. So I always knew that that was kind of going to be my calling. Right. When I was finishing up at school, I had no idea that, they, that, that it was possible to have a, a career in, in theatre, you know. Um, and when I went to university, I actually studied history to start with. Okay. And I was chatting with someone, and of course their mother was involved in the local Amdram group, and I got pulled in. I was too late to be in the show, so they said, will you be an ASM? I said, what is that? <laughs> they said, okay, you just run around backstage. And I said, cool, if that means hanging out with a the theatre crowd and yep. putting on plays and, and, um, um, and you know, getting involved in, in that tribe. And that's something we always talk about in the Lyra's Finding Your Tribe. And I, I certainly remember that moment of just standing backstage in that ASM gig and going, yes, 
this is it, this is what I want to do. There is a funny thing, I think, for people, that you, there is a moment of, I guess, understanding or a sense of belonging, that you do feel that you fit within this world. Because it's not a world for everybody. I mean, there are certain people, you know, the idea of the pressure of having to work backstage or the idea of like having to be up on stage in front of a crowd would terrify some people. They, or the, even just the kind of precarious nature of the employment. Absolutely. Oh, it's not for me, it's not yeah. for me. But then I think for some of us, you find your moment there and you go, yeah. this just feels right. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember that, you know, there, I guess we do have a couple of those light bulb moments mm. that happen over a certain period of, our time, uh, of time. And it's great. I get to see that happen in, in the Lear which is fantastic. But usually it's, it's when you're leaving school and, and you're finding yourself as an adult, you're really starting to, to question yourself and why are we alive? Why are we here? And <laughs> it kind of ties in. But I, I remember being, I, I lived in this even smaller town called Armadale, and that's where I was studying history, which I did not do very well at because I was spending all my time with, the, with all the, the theatre gang. I certainly remember being backstage as the ASM, it was an outdoor Shakespeare production and it was uh, absolutely teeming down with rain right. and it was just like crisis central and I just thought, yep, this is brilliant, we're going to solve this problem and this, these audiences are going to see this show. Like it was, it was very traumatic but also ended up being very inspiring. No problems, only solution opportunities. Absolutely, yeah. It was a problem solving opportunity. Um, so, what then happens with the history? Do we finish the history course? No, no. absolutely not. So after doing that a couple of times yeah. and, and, and just basically going from show to show to show and as I said, hanging out with these, this incredible theatre gang, um, I'm kind of trying to work out what I'm going to do because the history thing isn't working out and then I someone tells me about the fact that you can study stage management and production and theatre in general as, yeah. a, as a degree and I, that kind of blew my mind. I didn't know that up until that point. I, was, I guess I was about 18 or 19. Okay. So I found a course, applied for it and got in and kind of, I guess, the rest is history. <laughs> and would that have been fairly local or was that like, with the, like, does that have to be Sydney or Perth? No, or? that was back to Brisbane, that was in Brisbane. Okay. That was at QUT, that was the name of the university I okay. went to. So what I studied there was a, a specialist course in stage management and technical production, which is really similar to the one I'm, I'm teaching on now. <laughs> yeah. I, I love it, I love the yeah. circular nature of that. Yeah, absolutely. And the, the, like, there's a really good long running history in Australia for, um, for these courses and all the, I guess, major cities like Sydney and they all have degrees in, in that area, so it's a well-oiled machine. And what was the difference for you in terms of going into this kind of formal training in that regard versus, I'll just find my way, like you said, the, the problem solving in the outdoor Shakespeare, I'll, just, I'll, I'll find a way to yeah. make this work. How, how beneficial was the, the, the formal the structure in the training? Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. The industry in Australia is very different to what it is here, okay. I guess. So... Most people, I would say, most, who are working as stage managers and in, and in production in Australia have formal training. Okay. There's not the same ins into the industry as what there are in Ireland. Okay. Um, so it was kind of like that was the only way forth to, okay. get, to, to, to become a professional stage manager. I wouldn't be able to just kind of contact a theatre company or a venue and, and knock on the door and say, hey, can I come in and train with you for a while? You, you had to have that wow, okay. qualification and that degree behind you. So that's what I mean about being kind of a big, well-oiled machine. Yeah. Um, but that seems like a, 
Again, it's weird. It seems like a no-brainer, but it's only now that we have the kind of structures here, and I guess we'll talk about that in a little while. Yeah, of course. That it, it now it now makes sense. So, so you kind of come through this course. It feels like a good fit. What happens next? Okay, so I did the three-year degree. That was fantastic. I have to say, like I look back on those years as some of the best in my life. But it was really, really, really great, and. The people I met on that course are still obviously my really good friends today, but once again, I had some really excellent mentors and yeah. teachers there who really inspired me. And it was the first time, I think, in my life where I was really, really kind of starting to question everything about the world, what, what you know, why it is that we make art and, and how, is, how is an audience responding to this. It was really fantastic. We, uh, after I finished that, degree I'm just trying to think I stayed in Brisbane and in Queensland and moved and went down to Melbourne and Sydney a little bit actually sure. went up to Cairns I basically worked as a stage manager for about a year and a half okay. in Australia I also did a bit of venue management and um, and production management as well I was quite lucky in that way that the course that I, I was on was good so I had some great connections in sure. I worked in QPAC which is Queensland Performing Arts Centre, as a stage manager there. So I was immediately into kind of stage managing big orchestras and I remember doing some pretty jammy gigs there. I think I stage managed Katie Lang a couple of... <laughs> of course, who I love. Um, a couple of weeks out of, uh, out of college and, um, yeah, just, got, just really got a lot of experience under my belt. Throughout all this time, I always wanted to travel and I think ever since I, w- I was a little kid... You know, I always wanted to get out, and I guess that's what I was saying before about kicking against it. Yeah. Australia is so geographically isolated. Yes. You know, from many, many countries. Yeah. But really it is, and I, and I think that does have quite an effect on the psyche there. Um, so I, was, I always felt very aware of that, mm. and it was always a long-term dream that as soon as I got my qualifications got a bit of experience I would I would move on and get out and see the world and so you did yes um, tell me about where those travels took you yeah well I was under the fantastic mentorship of a woman called Sue Benfer in uh, at QUT she was my lecturer there and when I left she left as well uh, she was one of the top stage managers in, in Australia she got a job as the head of stage management in Doha in Qatar at the 15th Asian Games. So at that point, this is about 2006, there was a big gang of us that went with her to Doha. Many, many Australians went over there. And we worked on the opening and closing ceremonies of of these big games, this huge sporting event. So I was in my early 20s at that time, so it was kind of a quite an extraordinary experience for, for many reasons and a big learning experience as well. And up until that point, I had really, really strongly considered going into events, big scale production, um, you know, something, yeah, really, really big stuff. And actually from doing that, I I learned very quickly that it it just wasn't my jam. How how different is the approach on those large scales? Because we're familiar with, I guess, even the big Patrick's Day festival stuff here. But but we're talking about a different scale again for these kind of opening games. Oh, massive, like huge. Like you're rehearsing in these um, kind of airport hangars with a thousand locals. (laughs) And it's it's like you're literally just, you know, moving people around. It's so well organized and it's so like incredible to be a part of that but obviously you're just not dealing with you know the 
the, the intimacy and, and, and the really kind of challenging conversations that comes with, yeah. with putting on a, a theatre show. So, how long and how involved was that then before you went, oh, I mean, even realising this is not particularly where I want to go, presumably there's, there's benefits and there's experience and, and good lessons from it too. Yeah, big time, absolutely. And obviously it's great to, to kind of learn those as, as early as you can. Yeah. So I did that and it, it just bit that experience, you know, just wasn't kind of um, ticking any boxes for me. So yeah. I went traveling, it was great. I got to backpack around Southeast Asia and go to lots of countries for a very long period of time until I accidentally literally accidentally ended up in Ireland <laughs> there is no fantastic story as to why I'm here and I'm asked this every single day what brought you here yeah. and it came down to visas like literally I knew, I knew I wanted to go to Europe I had this travel bug I wanted to keep working in theater mm-hmm. wanted to work in, in, in theater in Europe specifically going to London is such a well-trodden path for so many Aussies yeah as you might know so that kind of wasn't really appealing to me and I knew someone who was in Ireland I knew I could get a visa here very easily so I found myself here <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that we were such a great catch I know you? I'm sorry I don't mean to, <laughs> I, I to say it like that I wanted to misty-eyed for 30 years all I'd wanted in I'm life sorry. was to recapture my Irish identity how dare well, you well it's How'd interesting <laughs> it's interesting that you say that though because you know I, I have a lot of Irish heritage you right, know, okay. surname Ferris um, my great-grandparents left here I won't bore you with all that kind of that story but coming here to Ireland all of a sudden I know it was by accident but it really uh, everything just started to make sense really yeah and it's funny because when my dad comes to visit me and my sister said it as well that it feels like coming home for them wow and I felt that as well so even though I'd grown up in Australia coming here I mean obviously there's a bit of an adjustment period of course but after a while um, I guess because my family are culturally Irish even though a lot of them don't realise it. Mm. You know, I'd, I'd grown up in in an Irish family in, in Australia without realising until I got here. So things just started to make sense to me. And in the way that we talked about kind of finding your tribe among the theatre people back yep. in Australia, did is there a similar sense of kind of feeling, you say talk of that feeling of being at home here, was it a similar kind of thing? Massively. And it's funny, like I, obviously I love Australia and, and there's certain elements of it that I miss, but I feel like I was... Australian by birth, but Irish by choice to a certain yeah. extent. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I, like certainly things, as I said, just started started to make sense. So, when you land here and kind of hit the deck running, how quickly can you plug into the theatre ecosystem here? How accessible is it, or how shut off is it for for dirty foreigners coming over to take well, our jobs? Well, yeah, that did happen. <laughs> um, it's funny. I was thinking about this the other day, and I have these really vivid memories of sitting in an internet cafe in Cambodia and <laughs> Googling every single venue and festival that I could find right. in Ireland. And I think I must have sent off about 35 emails. And the reason why I was thinking about this the other day is I found them just recently. And I went back to, this is 11 years ago, and had a look at all the people who got back to me right. with fantastic ideas and suggestions and yes, let's meet up. And, and some of those people are, are people who I now work with, you know, and, and who, I, who I consider to be my friends, my colleagues, and who I really respect. So it was interesting to see yeah. them respond to some loner Australian from sitting in an internet cafe. So I did a big call out. I uh, got a couple of responses. I think Stephen McManus in Dublin Theatre Festival was the first person who got back to me. Right. 
and I was so excited to get that email and I went in and I met him for a cup of tea and I brought in my CV and he passed it on to someone and I started working. I, I, my first gig was uh, working on Don Pasquale in the RDS wow. um, for Opera Island as an ASM. Yeah. Sure, okay. Yeah. And uh, in terms of the culture shock of arriving in Ireland, its differences, clearly that wasn't too crazy because it felt like it was a fit. Did yeah. the industry feel different? It, yeah, to a certain extent it did. I mean, I guess there, there are different ways of working in, in Ireland production-wise as to what there are in Australia. And I really, you know, I think there's pros and cons. Sure to both, um, certainly because people here uh, just connect with others so well and, and there's just such fantastic dialogue going on between everyone regardless of whether you're a playwright or director, stage manager, actor. Um, it, it felt for me a more kind of enjoyable, holistic place to be, to be work-wise. I mean, the, the, small, uh, the smallness of it. Yeah was a big shock because right. in it, because in Australia obviously you know the cities are so spread out yeah. um, so people aren't as connected I, I don't think they're as what they are as what they hear but literally after being here for about you know 10 months you just realize that everyone knows everyone and <laughs> um, that's how that's how it works but yeah. also you know and there's so much that that's so fantastic about that um, because it's just you know once you you get in you start working and you you just kind of work really hard it's easy to, to get another job and I guess that's how it happens, happens. yeah um, as you look back on those early days here are there highlights and moments that stand out either shows or people that you worked with or the start of kind of yeah. ongoing collaborations absolutely when I first came here as I said I did that opera gig and then the, the gig after that I, I was here with some friends some Australian friends who also worked in theatre and there was there's two of us myself and my, my really good friend Gary who's a stage manager he's, he's working in Sydney now we were kind of a bit of a stage management duo. And so we used to get employed on gigs together, which was fantastic. And the first Fringe show we did was produced by Maura O'Keefe and it was uh, Julie Kelleher was working on it as, right. as, as a line producer. Tom Creed directed one of the shows. David Horn corrected one of the, uh, directed one of the shows. It was called The Rep Experiment and yes. it was in Smock Alley. Yes. So we were interviewed for that in Gruel Cafe on Dame Street. And I'll never forget it, you know, for, for as long as I live, because it was just like, finally, I was like, yes, I've met these fantastic people. We, they told us, of course, we'd love to have you on board this show. And it was just a really, really fantastic experience. And the shows were great. The audiences loved it. But the people who were involved in those shows are still some of my closest friends today. So Janet Morin, um, Paul Reed, Peter Daly, you know, so, yeah, it was a really lovely moment of kind of landing in on, on you, the Dublin theatre scene. You had a great time on that show, even though it had Peter Daly and Paul Reed in it. I know. That's quite, well, that's quite yeah. an achievement. I know, especially Peter. <laughs> He's paying me. I love it. I love it so much. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, well, the, the, there was that, and then actually straight after that, I got a gig as a production manager for Team Educational Theatre. Right. So this is the end of 2007 now, which, as we all know, is crunch time. So it's an interesting time in this it industry. It is. Yeah. I know. I often say I brought the recession <laughs> with me. Because well, I, I, I came here, and six months later is when that word recession started to, to creep in on the radio. And then, obviously, we know um, what happened then. But I always 
feel like I, I, I missed out because I never really got to experience the Celtic tiger in ah, its yes. full glory. I it, only imagine what it's like. It was it was amazing. There's from a lot, the stories. A lot of fast cars and oil paintings and things like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Limos. Um, but I guess, you know, as I said, going into, uh, into that show that I did in Fringe and then uh, moving into team where I worked for a year as a production manager, once again, it goes back to that, that thing of I, I found my tribe and I mm. found these great people and I was really interested in their work and I loved being a part of that. As a stage manager, you know, you're a creative pragmatist. You're, you're in the room. You're, you're kind of getting to see every single stage and phase that the director works through and, and helps support them and I just absolutely love those memories of, of being a part of that. Also being a production manager for Team, I got to drive a van around Ireland for a year. So you get to so see a lot of it pretty quickly. I had, yeah, I went to every single county in, in this country within you know, a, a matter of months, I think, because wow. I was straight, straight on the road and um, got to go into schools and, and chat with the kids and you know, put on shows and you know, the whole team set up and that was a pretty amazing experience too. When then does the element of producing start to creep in? Um, I guess... A couple of years still after that. Yeah. I worked then, like following on from team, I started to work, kind of lived out of my suitcase for about three years, really. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I basically, there were, there were a couple of companies that I started to work with, um, you know, as, an, as a freelancer, stage manager. So Pan Pan, The Gate, and then I was across to Scotland, to the National Theatre of Scotland. Right. In Glasgow, and that would be fairly so, early days for National Theatre Scotland, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, it was just before. The, I think they were four years old. Okay. Yeah. So I guess this is going back to about 2010. Yeah. So, yeah, those companies I was kind of um, piggybacking on, and and as I said, very much living out of my suitcase, and getting towards you know my the end of my twenties, I just realised that it kind of wasn't a lifestyle that I was enjoying anymore. There comes a point. However. <laughs> I guess most importantly because I had had kind of almost 10 years of, of, of being in a room and watching directors work and, and, and supporting them and, and, and dealing with actors, I, I, it, it was a natural progression for me to then step into producing and I feel like all those years that I had in those rehearsal rooms with you know, Gavin Quinn, mm. people like that, you know, who are brilliant directors, it just really gave me an excellent grounding to know, you know, what it is that a producer needs to do well, which is supporting a production. And Yeah, yeah it's, it's an interesting one for me. Um, do you feel like, because the big complaint about, I guess, the industry broadly here is the lack of independent freelance producers. Yeah. Um, so do you feel that... There was a real drive within you that this was something that you needed to add to your skill set or that, you know, in terms of creative fulfillment? Or did you feel like here's a niche that kind of I know I can be useful in and I should fill it for the, the good of the ecology, yeah. the system or whatever? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess it was, you know, I, I was happy to keep, to, you know, to continue working as a, as a stage manager. And, and I guess, you know, I was doing well, so I was moving into company management and there were a couple of big opportunities that I, that I didn't take up. Um, because I didn't want to be on the road anymore and because it is a, it, it can be a bit of a hard game being a stage manager. Um, and there were a lot of people were saying to me, you should go into producing. And I, I, I'm, because I'm an organiser, you know, I, I just have that, that drive in me that I really wanted to kind of still be involved in, in supporting work and, and making it happen. But yes, there was definitely a, a shift 
as far as my own kind of desire to to be more involved in the creative process. Okay. Um, and so then, what were the early days of that like as you start to kind of move into the producing? Yeah. Um, in terms, because as you said, you, you had as much experience as you had at that stage. Was it relatively seamless of a transition? Uh, no. <laughs> I wouldn't say so. Absolutely not. Um, no, I mean, obviously, like, the production side of things was, was pretty straightforward for me. But there were, it was, you know, a pretty much a baptism by fire. The first show I ever produced was Solpadine is My Boyfriend with Stephanie Preisner. So that what, had, whatever happened to that or her? <laughs> I know. You never hear of her these days. Um, so that was an interesting I wasn't involved in the original production of sure. it but I but I picked it up okay. and Gina Moxley who's a very good friend of mine and a director who I really really respect obviously was involved in that show as well so I knew automatically that I, I wanted to work with her but also I really loved the show yeah. and um really loved Stephanie so there was a lot of interest in that production we her and I, I think we toured 25 venues across Yikes. Ireland and then it went to Brisbane and Romania Edinburgh and that was my, my first producing gig. But yeah, I certainly learned a lot on that. And it was a, a great way to kind of to step into producing, I think. And so I, I guess, you know, learning on your feet as you go with that kind of stuff. And even, you know, the excitement of the international stuff must have been great, too. Yeah, terrifying. What, what, <laughs> sure, yeah. yeah. Um, so then as it starts to roll, what, where does it go to? And what were the really exciting ones then? OK, well, then from that... Um, I guess I moved, I, once that tour had finished up, Sophie Motley asked me to be her producer with Wilfred. And I'd always been a big fan of Sophie and Sarah Jane's work and jumped straight into it. Mm. And that was the first time I went into a, a company structure yeah. as, a, as a producer. And we had, I was working with them for two and a half years. You and guys were busy though as well. Yeah, really busy. There was a lot going on at that time. I think yeah, we did a number of shows in, in that quite that short period of time. And it, that was a fantastic kind of period for me because it was the first time I really got to get involved in the creative process and their process is so unique in nice. the way that, you know, that work was made with communities and we spent, I think, 10 months in a hospice in the lead up to making care. So that interaction with the, with the community was just really, really eye-opening. And just seeing the way that audiences would kind of respond to the work was how did incredible. you how did you feel about that kind of shift in the creating of work or the generating of a new piece did, yeah. how, how different did it feel to make the standard thing for you yeah it was huge because I was always very story driven I think and that was the first time I, I, I worked with a company really in any regard that was making devised yeah, okay. theatre so it was a completely new uh, artistic process um, and one that I really, really um, valued and enjoyed watching. And um, I think that, obviously, as I said, you know, there were narratives and stories that did come into their work, but what they would really focus on is just that kind of analysis of the human condition. And that is what has always been at the core of, I guess, what I have been drawn to, to theatre with. Looking after shows and companies at that time, we talked about the recession kicking in. And so as we kind of move through that early 2010, 11, 12, mm -hmm. times were tough. Yes. Companies were going to the wall. Um, funding was scarce if it existed at all. Yeah. 
How did you find juggling the realities of that with keeping, you know, large-scale stuff on the road? I mean, it's about, you know, 10-month engagements in hospices. Yeah. You know, how, 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 how did I make was, it work? Yeah, how tricky is it to juggle Yeah, there that? was a lot of juggling going on. I, I've always, I guess, well, I guess it was around that period. I was, so I was producing with Wilfred. I was stage managing a, a couple of gigs here and there. They were mainly working with Jane Coppinger, which was fantastic. I was working with herself and Alwyn Fuere on River Run. And I worked with Jan on Dogs. And we just had a kind of a brilliant time there. But that, so that was balancing, I'm pretty sure, with Wilfred at that time. But it was also at the time that the Lear Academy had opened. And that's when I stepped my foot in the door there. So it, it was a big juggling act, but all of those roles seemed to really feed into each other, and I just made it work somehow. I wasn't in the Lear full-time at that stage. I was kind of dipping in and out of it. Um, and, yeah, I think they've always complemented them, like, each other. So yeah. talk to me about the Lear, then, because obviously everyone knows I'm the Lear super fan. You are, um, yeah. that's fine, because I'm a big nerd, and that's bad. <laughs> but uh, part of the magic here is that it is no longer just the three-year conservatory-style actor training, but that integrated within that yeah. is the SMTT stuff, yeah. stage management, design, the MFA writers and design, like all of that stuff together in the word yeah. you used earlier, the more holistic kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, already we are seeing the benefits of it with the kind of people who are coming through the program here. Yeah. For you, having gone through that more formalised three-year training, mm-hmm. technically, technically speaking, back in the day, what was it like to be leading the charge in kind of forming the first formal stage management and technical theatre training here? Oh, it was brilliant, like an incredible privilege. And there were certainly a couple of people in the in the door before for me as well. So it, it was, you know, and, and there's a fantastic big team of, of people who've created the course. Obviously, I'm just focused on the stage management. But I've always been quite passionate about education, I right. think. And, you know, going years and years and years back, if... I hadn't have followed the the theatre route. Maybe I would have been a teacher of some sort. Yeah. You know. So I I I really think it's an important and sometimes undervalued um, position that people choose to take on because it is you know vocational. Yeah. Um. So doing that at the same time as the as creating work, the Lear is a fantastic place. That there are so many people in in the building that work in the industry as well as teach, and I think that um, that only makes the the academy richer mm. you know and it, and it, it really benefits the students so i've always been able to do that i've had the privilege of working with some of the stage management gang that have come out through here oh, great. and it is quite something because and i was thinking about this on the drive in today they carry themselves with the same level of confidence in their ability as the actors do when they walk out. And I was thinking about why that might be. And I don't know if it's just that a piece of paper from Trinity College is a help, but I think there's something in in what could be a very subjective industry, objectively, to have a piece of paper that says, I have served my time, I have clocked up the flying hours, I know what I'm talking about here and I can go and do it. Because, you know, working with people who would be young and relatively inexperienced, not only knowing their stuff and being able to handle themselves in a rehearsal room, but also having the confidence to step in, in a way a great ma- stage manager should do, and yeah. go, that's not going to be safe, we're not going to do that, or let me offer a solution to that problem here. Yeah. You, know, you are a really valuable part of this process. And so to, to have people coming out fully formed like that, 
seems to me to be an incredible resource and kind of bounty for the business. Yeah, absolutely. I think obviously, you know, the guys do up until quite recently have done a two-year course yeah. and, and now it's become the three-year degree so the students graduating in July of this year will be the very first Irish students who have that degree under their belt which is something we're very proud of part of teaching in an academy for for three years is about building up confidence in yeah. people you know they go on such a journey from the day they come in and, and you know right up to when they leave the, the the changes that we see in the growth is just extraordinary and so much of that is you can do it, go out there and do it, as well as completely you know, balancing that with um, the nuances of, of working in, <laughs> so in a, in a yeah. high-pressure, you know, of course. creative yeah. environment. And it's a really uh, kind of tricky one, you know, to, to get right. And mm-hmm. I, I like to think that there are some, well, I know there are some fantastic students who are coming out of here, and I think that they are really going to... Um, bring a lot to the industry and yeah really help support the work that's being made I find it fascinating and, and, and listen to you talk about kind of valuing teachers I wonder how much that ties back to not even your own training at kind of university level but right the way back to you know in your early teens I'm talking about it as part of the core curriculum there that you understand that you know within that kind of formal education setting yeah. that there is scope for creativity and artistic uh, endeavors as well is that part of it yeah absolutely in an, in an educational setting yeah absolutely like I just think that every child teenager and you know obviously this feeds into the other kind of work I'm doing it, it's they have that right to engage in art in the same way they do in sport and maths and, and everything else that, that exists in the world it's something that certainly yeah I feel quite passionate about and I guess I've had my own inspirational mentors in my life who've had such a profound effect on me and who've really um, guided me in a, in a direction where I just love my life and I want to be able to do I really want to be able to do the same thing for others it's, and it's not a bad place to be yeah I guess yeah talk to me then about this kind of I think a newer strand of your work in terms of curatorial stuff and mm-hmm. putting stuff together specifically with Collapsing Horse That's for right. Fringe and Young Radicals, uh, a strand of the Fringe with which I am now very acquainted That's after right. last year. You certainly are. So it, this actually comes from my, my time with Wilfred. One of the, the last shows that I produced with them was a show called Bees. Yes, indeed. That was a part of Dublin Theatre Festival and that was in the ARC a couple of years ago. And it was from doing that that I realised actually how much of an urgent need there was for more work in, in Ireland and in, and in Dublin for children and, and for teenagers actually yeah. as well um, anyone under 18 and it was I guess something that was always a, a passion of mine to work with young people obviously you know from my working team and, and going back to from when I was younger but this was really I, I felt like it was a calling I guess and I at that time connected with Collapsing Horse and I really, really respected them as people and also their work and the way that they connect with their audiences. So it just was a natural fit that I would create work with them. And it was the fringe, it was Chris Nelson actually who contacted me and he had this idea of of creating this new strand for, for young audiences. And as soon as he said it, I just was like, yes, this needs to happen, absolutely. And I guess ever since then, that's probably about 18 months, two years ago, it's just been Non-stop. <laughs> you know? um, what have been the most rewarding elements of 
of working on that kind of work for young people for you? As far as the programming of the of the, of the young people's work, it, like we've had one go at it, yeah. the, the pilot year, which was in, in 2017. And apart from the really obvious things of, of seeing certain venues packing out with kids, like Lords of Strut was on in... Yes. And Project Arts Centre last year, you know, and there, there were just children everywhere, all over the foyer, and it was just fantastic to see all these different venues. We had a great show on in um, the Peacock as well, called Birdie, and just seeing all these kids going through these, you know, massive buildings. Mm. And so as you look forward to the coming years of that, have you any specific ambitions or goals, or is there, is there a, a bucket list of what you want to do? Um, yeah, absolutely. We're obviously in the throes of, of, of planning out a Young Radicals program at the moment, and also for the next couple of years we've made short, long-term plans with it. Um, ideally what we'd love to do is, is for that to branch out and for it to become its own festival. I still can't believe there's no children's arts festival in Dublin, but I think that there is great potential for that. But it's not just about those really obvious opportunities, it's also about um, having children engage in a certain kind of work and also look at a child and say you're a six-year-old, a fully formed six-year-old, we're putting this work on for you not to tick any boxes, not so that when you leave the theatre you're going to be thinking this way or you're going to grow up to be an artist, it's about serving a certain sector of the community who isn't currently being served as well as what I think they should be. Um, and also about engaging in a certain dialogue with mm -hmm. them. and 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 for them to be not only making work themselves, like your daughter yes, did, indeed. yeah, but also, you know, for them to be having conversations um, with, an, as I said, and a, and a dialogue with, with the society that they live in and, and really for them to, to grow within that. So finally then, where are you in terms of ambitions and desires and you know, the, the career arc for you from here on out? Is it to keep juggling all the great balls that are in the air ah, at the moment? That's a really good question. Um, yeah, I'm really happy with where I am at the moment. I'd, you know, I'd, of course I've got you know, big plans and ambitions for the future, but the most important thing for me right now is, is the day-to-day, -day, which is working on the, on the Young Radicals program and, you know, staying in the leer and, and continuing to hopefully ins inspire the, the young minds that are coming in and out of here, you know, to still feed off their curiosity they come in here they're not jaded yet you know we get it's such a an amazing place to be in and as i said it really feeds in into the other work so yes for the future it, it's i guess it's it's to continue on with, with what i'm doing and and try and be try and be better at what i do and um get more kids from more areas of the country from more backgrounds into the theaters to, to experience work because as i said I, I really believe it's a it's a human right that not all of them are kind of getting at the moment. And will we be able to keep you here in Ireland then for the long term Yay! as well? I don't think I'm going anywhere. Excellent. That Absolutely. makes me very happy indeed. Kate Ferris, thank you so much for coming My on the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you for having pleasure. me. So there you have it, the great Kate Ferris. So wonderful to catch up with her again. Just one of the nicest women in the world. So great to spend time with her and uh, and great to get her story out there. It's, uh, it's fantastic to hear her passion uh, about creating work for younger audiences. And I think there's some very exciting stuff coming down the tracks in that regard. So stay tuned. And so that brings us to our usual weekly roundup of theatrical goings on around the country at the Abbey we have Porcelain and the Unmanageable Sisters 
at the gate they still have look back in anger and also late at the gate with the great Emma Kirwan is coming up now um, at the Gaiety Theatre from Drew and it's John B. Keane's Sive at the Borgosh Theatre it's the Scottish play and that'll be followed by Cirque Berserk and then it'll be Legally Blonde for all you movie buffs out there um, at the Mermaid in Bray they have the all-conquering humours of Bandon by the great Mags McAuliffe uh, and from what I know this is the last date on the current tour and look it's on the dark line so do not miss your chance to see this cracking cracking show one of the great show and a bag success stories of recent years it is well worth a roll of the dice for you um, at the Pierce Centre Mark Canton's one man variety show is happening there and I'm hearing amazingly good things about that do go out of your way to check that out if you can um, at the new theatre they have the last couple of performances of After the End starring the brilliant Maria Guyver and Paul Livingston uh, and that'll be followed by Desire by Peter Reed at Smock Alley they've all the seen and heard shows at the moment a massive selection of stuff there do go and check out their website to get a sense of what's going on and uh, go down and support all the uh, the upcoming burgeoning work in progress showings and kind of scratch nights and, and great development stuff going on there and some wonderfully fully formed little magical little gems get yourself down there and check out some new stuff at the Civic Theatre in Tala they have the Drawer Boy and the Arabian Nights and also Lives in Translation from Kabosh uh, at the Viking Theatre in Clontarf they have Des Kyo in the Love Hungry Farmer and that'll be followed by Holy Mary starring Mary Murray and Mae Fitzgerald and directed by the great Aoife Spillane Hinks um, Say Nothing to No One with Thomas Kane Byrne and Erica Rowe is back after it caused uh, great waves at Theatre Upstairs and that is going to Axis Ballymun that's well worth jumping on a bus out to Ballymun if you get the chance um, Bewley's has Peep starring Emily Fox and Alex Conlon directed by longtime Rise collaborator, collab- collaborator easy for me to say the great Gavin Costick do go and check that out for your lunchtime enjoyment um, at the Project Arts Centre in Temple Bar it is Scorch and also Marco Rose The Approach and that'll be followed by Shackleton going in there afterwards um, then heading south to the Everyman in Cork that production of The Approach is touring down there next so you can catch it out there and to be honest with you if you're anywhere south of Port Leash make yourself take the journey to get down there the show is phenomenal the three ladies are just in the form of their lives it's incredible performances uh, do go and check that out also in Cork at the Firkin Crane the final year students of the Department of Theatre in UCC have their final performance of Resolute that's at the Firkin Crane uh, it's a series of adaptations that they're laying on there it looks like it's going to be very interesting indeed uh, heading west to Galway at the Town Hall the all-conquering druid with waiting for Gatto, uh, which is just a staggering production. There's no other way to talk about it. There's no other words to describe it. It's Marty, it's Rory, it's Aaron, and it's Lombard, and just all four of them just in cracking, cracking form. Go and check it out. They're they're fab. Um, heading slightly further south from Galway to Limerick at the Lime Tree, it's The Constant Wife and Micro Disney, and then up north to Lyric in Belfast, it's I'll Tell Me Ma, and also May the Road Rise Up. So, that's us. That's episode 16 in the books. Well, we're cracking on with these, aren't we? Uh, we will, of course, be back next week for another chat with one of Ireland's leading theatre makers. But in the meantime, this has been the Rise Productions Irish Theatre Podcast. For Angus Og McAnally, I'm Angus Og McAnally. We'll see you next week. Oh, 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 oh,